However, the overuse of these antibiotics have developed resistant bacteria. And now, not really now, quite a few years ago, for those who are reading their medical literature, the Academy of Pediatrics released a clinical practice guideline for diagnosis and management of acute otitis media. And the guidelines actually say, watch and wait instead of jumping on giving an antibiotic to the affected individual. However, in natural medicine, we definitely do not agree with that just watch and wait approach. We are much more proactive and using the best options for nutritional, herbal, homeopathic, massage, um, various kinds of heat packs on the area and other therapies available to help support ear health while you're doing the watch and wait with your pediatrician if you're using an allopathic physician. And they say, well, wait till it gets worse and then you'll take the antibiotics. Well, how about get rid of it beforehand and you never even have to suffer and you never need the antibiotics. That is what I did with my children who are uh, close to 50 years old. They never had an antibiotic. They had a lot of childhood health challenges, but we dealt with all of them with natural remedies. So that class is coming up this Sunday. And if it's not at a good time for you, once you join the class, you get access, immediate access right after the class. And you can listen to it anytime you'd like, day or night, and still get, if you're someone who needs three CEU credits, which are available for massage therapists, registered dietitians, nurses and midwives, and it's granted through the state of Florida Department of Education, and we have found that every state accepts it as well. So you can get three CEUs if you need them, but if you don't need them and you just want to know for your own education or for your own children if you're you know a parent join in for ear infections natural support you get the the slides you get the audio you get all the information that we have coming up in addition we have lots of other classes coming for instance we have an on uh, we have a, a class on extraterrestrials that's in person in person in Florida. Um, and that's based on a book that I wrote called Synchronous Connections, A Personal Journey Through Non-Ordinary Reality. The book is available all the time on Amazon. But if you want to come live, that class, you actually have to, you know, take your rear end over there and come to the class because that's not going to be online. But then we have a really excellent class coming, which is a very important class. This is called Stay Informed. FDA and FTC regulations for herbal products. And I will tell you, they are getting massively, massively, they just uh, got a giant input of new personnel. They, they increased the department by almost a third. And most of the work I actually do, you know, a lot of people call me and say they want to do an herbal consult with me personally. But truthfully, I'm, I'm not doing that as much anymore because I am so busy doing regulatory with every single uh, manufacturer or seller of natural products needs a regulatory consultant because the FDA is, and FTC both are aggressively going after anyone who is selling natural products. And a lot of times people don't know, so they'll have things on their website like a disease name 
you know, like Alzheimer's or something. They have bots now that go around looking for all the claims and going after the people who are using them. So it's very easy for them to find people now, much more so than it was in the past. And they are also much more aggressive. So if you are growing herbs in your backyard and then you make a little salve or something and you go, wow, this works great. All my friends love it. Um, so, wow, I'm gonna try to sell it on Etsy. Etsy does not protect you. Etsy does not protect you. Just last week, there were lots of uh, little posts on Etsy saying, oh my God, the FDA came after me and they're also making Etsy take down those ads. So really, unless you want to invest heavily, and I mean in the millions, to set up a GMP manufacturing facility, I would suggest you actually do not foray into selling natural remedies or if you do make sure you have a regulatory consultant because those fines are huge we're talking about three million dollar fines for selling a little tiny herbal remedy so please be aware the class is going to be available live on November 12th and then online after that. We already have one um, called FDA and FTC Herbal Manufacturing. This is called Stay Informed, the newest regulations for herbal products, which is massively increasing. And I highly suggest that you that you take that if it's if that's a game you want to play. Then we also have our Echo Tours for Cures, the education vacation in the island of Jamaica. That's coming up in uh, March of 2024, but we have it listed now because we're taking registrations. And for the first time this year, that class has full is fully accredited through Bastyr University. So that's really exciting that we got credit for that class through Bastyr. You can just come on the tour without getting the credits, but if you want to take the credits, then we register you through Bastyr University. So all kinds of interesting things coming up, loads of archived classes. A, a great place to look for archived classes is called Natural Nurse Academy. If you just Google Natural Nurse Academy, you'll get to a long list of archived classes. So there's all kinds of ways that you can join in with us. Also, of course, this show, The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z, is a podcast. And we have another podcast, too, called Herbally Yours. Both of these shows are both radio shows being produced at a studio. And they are podcasts, and they are available on every single podcast venue. If you have that little podcast app on your phone, you can just put in those words, The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. Podcasts will pop up, or Herbally Yours, that's a different show. Podcasts will pop up, and you can get it through any one of your preferred um podcast venues, such as iHeartRadio and Oh, you know, all those things. I don't even know them. But anyway, I know we are on all of them. So please join us. And we love to hear from you. Best thing is go to naturalnurse.com. And on the front page, you can join the mailing list by just going to the very, very bottom, very, very bottom at naturalnurse.com. It says subscribe and receive uh, newsletters, which are free. And they're very rare, like once a month or so. 
Um, we also have EMF meters and protective devices, which I think is a really important thing to use with 5G, etc. And we, you can also just contact us, like just contact the natural nurse and this email and phone number there. So all kinds of ways to get in touch. And thank you so much for joining us today. We are going to bring on board our guest. And our guest for today's show is Dr. John Lewis, PhD. And he has a passion for educating others about the value of nutrition. Dr. Lewis has been an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. I'll be right near there for the rest of the year. He is also a diplomat, faculty member, and advisor of the Medical Wellness Association, and he is the founder and president of Dr. Lewis Nutrition, and you can find out more at his website, which is Dr. Lewis. L-E-W-I-S, nutrition.com. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Lewis. Good morning. Thank you for having me on your show. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And this show is um, The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. You were on our other show as well, Herbally Yours. So this show lasts, you know, pretty much a full hour. Um, so we have more time to go into a lot of the great information that you have. Now, let's go back in time the little boy John and what made you go towards first of all getting a PhD and uh, working in nutrition well these are interesting questions I, I always give credit to my dad's parents who lived just down the street from us and were retired when I was born didn't really have much better to do in their lives other than to look after me every day and I never spent one day in any kind of formal daycare, I was always with my grandparents, and I have very vivid memories of watching, I'm dating myself here now, Sesame Street Electric Company and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood with, with them, and my, my grandparents taking such uh, intense effort in, in teaching me things like learning how to count, learning the alphabet, all sorts of things before I even started first grade. So I really give a lot of credit to my grandparents for, <clears throat> I would say, instilling in me, a, you know, a lot of values and particularly around education. And so starting in college and as an undergrad, I don't think I had any specific desire to pursue graduate school, even let alone a PhD. It just sort of happened as my interests sort of morphed and, and grew over time as I became interested in well, initially, really kind of starting out in the sports performance world where I was a drug-free competitive bodybuilder for a few years in school. And then... Wait, wait, I want to stop you there. That's an interesting topic. So yeah. in those years, I would imagine a lot of the bodybuilders, especially the ones that were really giant, were not drug-free. So w was there testing to be in some of the competitions? It was random, uh, so, you know, I always had my suspicions of how legitimate the randomness was, and, you know, quite frankly, Ellen, I mean, it just, it was, it got to a point where I, I didn't see myself making any money being a bodybuilder. It was really just more of something that I was doing for myself, just something within my competitive nature to see what I could do in bodybuilding, but 
I never had any delusions about being the next Arnold Schwarzenegger or anything because I knew all those people had to take drugs to achieve that type of body. And anybody who tells me otherwise simply doesn't know what they're talking about. But uh, I just wasn't willing to go down that road. And, and I mean, you know, confirming deaths due to steroid use, that's a bit of a tricky challenge. I mean, I think some people are clearly dying of heart failure, but today is a whole different animal compared to back in the late 80s and early 90s. The drugs have gotten more sophisticated. The drug protocols have gotten more sophisticated. So I think with that sophistication that's occurred over the last few decades, the risks have also increased. And so that's why now you you hear about these, you know, 30 and even younger uh, year olds dying of heart failure or some other kind of heart related issue that uh, could likely be attributed to to steroid and other drug use. I mean, they're beyond steroids. They're, they're taking all of these, you know, things like insulin, insulin growth factor one. I mean, it's just kind of it's exploded to a whole different level back when I was really interested in it. But, but I still weight train every day. I mean, I still, uh, my exercise program, my exercise preference is still a bodybuilding regimen. I just don't go up on a stage anymore. Again, it's just, so if you decide to do that, it's one of those things you can't do something else at the same time. Like you have to be completely devoted to it. And the pros, you know, the people that actually get paid to sponsor supplements or equipment or gyms or whatever. I mean, no, it's like their life, you know, it's their job to be a bodybuilder. And so I just, I don't know, I guess I was lucky. I, <clears throat> I That's felt- okay. So that was one of your paths, but you went on to, you know, so many more intellectual pursuits because you actually have 180 peer review publications in recognized scientific journals which is amazing because that's your background in knowing about nutrition. So you have been in such journals as the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, the American Journal of Public Health, um, Journal of the International AIDS Society, Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, like you just mentioned, Nutrition and Cancer, the Journal of Alternative Complementary Medicine, which I'm on the uh, peer review board of, by the way, and nice. um, the gerontologist. So lots and lots of, you know, major published studies, which is a major accomplishment as well. Well, thank you. And don't forget the uh, the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease, where it, where is uh, the first paper that we published from our Alzheimer's research that really, actually, it was kind of the beginning of the end for me in my academic career. Um, but I, I didn't really answer your question. I don't think about why I chose to do what I did. I, I think as I transitioned out of a sports performance per- perspective around exercise and nutrition, realizing that only a very small percentage of the population has that desire or that goal to utilize exercise and nutrition for a very specific sports performance purpose. However, the entire population, even though they don't, but all of us should be concerned about nutrition and exercise for our health and well-being, even though, again, the vast majority of people don't. Otherwise, we wouldn't be plagued with all of these epidemics of chronic disease today. But between, you know, kind of that recognition within myself and then looking at many of my family members, particularly all four of my grandparents who suffered quite badly in their last days, mostly related to eating a typical Southern diet. And well, what, 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 what would that be? You're talking about like fried chicken and 
What is a typical Southern diet? Anything fried. Right, right. Fried, fried <laughs> the, the thing. Right. right, exactly. Not just chicken, but anything. Uh, my family, uh, I would say mostly a very heavy beef diet and uh, a lot of dairy, a lot of fried food, processed food, sugary food, although they still ate a lot of fruits and vegetables as well. It wasn't like they completely ignored fruits and vegetables. It, it was just a very heavy fat, heavy animal, heavy processed diet. And and that's the family I grew up in. So I, I left all that behind 26 years ago. This is my 26 year, 26th year of also eating a plant-based diet. And so, you know, I, I that's a big part of who I am as well. So wait a minute, I'm going to stop you there also. Um, so after all your studies for yourself, you've chosen to continue to work out and eat a plant-based diet. But let me ask you, Dr. Lewis, a little bit more specifically about what that means to you because I have found a lot of the things that are jumping on that plant-based bandwagon are total garbage food um, which is really fake food but they can say plant-based on it because it has all kinds of fillers and thickeners and emulsifiers and just stuff that is worse to me than good healthy organically raised meat. Uh, sure. Well, I mean, I I think it depends on you know what what again your definition of plant based is certainly can be different. Uh, you know, right. The, so what is yours? What do so you mine, about that? So mine is is pretty intense in um, I would say beans, brown rice, vegetables, fruit, nuts and seeds, and I'm not a huge bread fan, but I I occasionally eat some bread. Uh, so a whole, you know, a whole grain, and that's that's pretty much it. And then I, I definitely eat tofu uh, probably once a week. And uh, you know, I I think for me, like the most important thing is to. It's a very simple thing that other people talk about as well as eating by color. So eating a lot of different colors because that way you're ensuring that you get a lot of different nutrients and phytonutrients across. Yeah, I definitely am a big proponent of that. In fact. My clients um, used to have to take an index card with them everywhere they went and a pack of colored markers. And everything that they put in their mouth, they put that colored marker. The idea was to make a rainbow each day. Mm -hmm. um, but I had one gentleman patient who came and he was all laughing when he came in the next week, showed me his cards. I said, wow, that's great, Joe. You did a good job. He said, yep, I ate Skittles every day. <laughs> so like we laughed but I mean who's the joke on there but you're so right you know that that bright colored diet is a really good indicator of how much fruit and vegetables you're getting um, because where else are you going to get get those colors except from Skittles let's say <laughs> exactly well that's an interesting way of, uh, of circumventing the intention but uh, exactly but but uh, who loses there but we had a good laugh and the next week he did better <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And you know, humor is also a very important thing, actually. Right. Well, maintaining health and wellness. That's right. What's the old saying? Laughter is the best medicine. I don't know if it is the best, but it's certainly a medicine, no question about it. Well, let's talk about your Alzheimer's studies. And you also did a TED Miami talk that I imagine people can find on YouTube. Just put in John Lewis TED Miami talk where you do talk about. Um, a lot of things in terms of that Alzheimer's study. And Alzheimer's is just exploding right now. 
So what does that do to, and what can we do to avoid it? Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, I have I have several of my own theories I'd like to prove someday related to Alzheimer's. Number one is, you know, we overdose on protein in our country, and the protein that builds up in the in the brain over time, I think, you know, if your micro, microglia are not functioning properly and they're not able to eliminate the waste, the byproducts of oxidation, inflammation that's going on every you know, every moment of our lives, and that's obviously a problem. That's one theory, ongoing theory I have about that. We just eat way too much protein in this country. But number two, that may be even more important than that, is most flu shots have had, uh, historically, I don't know today, I've never taken one, by the way, but... Me either, by the way. None of those things. No, absolutely not. But they've they've all had, historically, aluminum. Now, I don't know in the last few years if that's still the case, but... As I'm sure you know, one of the leading contributing factors to developing dementia or Alzheimer's is exposure to aluminum. You know, I really think so, because I wonder why my mom, who's incredibly healthy, she's 94, and she's still incredibly healthy. She swam two miles a day her whole entire life. She has developed Alzheimer's. And one reason I think, because it doesn't even run in her family, is she cooked on aluminum foil every single day Mm -hmm. to keep the pots clean. Well, between, you know, the elderly being targeted for the flu shot every year and... No, she never got one of those ever. <laughs> that's good. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. Cooking with aluminum, that's that's definitely bad news. That nonstick, uh, you know, those nonstick cooking appliances, bad, bad, bad news. I tell anybody that uses that stuff, immediately throw that away and buy either stainless steel or glass or, uh, you know, something else besides that nonstick aluminum crap. And then also, what are people doing every day with their antiperspirant? They're they're putting aluminum hydroxide right next to their lymph nodes under their arms every day. And that aluminum, right. that aluminum is going right into the bloodstream and doing God knows what to you. So there are a lot of things we're doing to ourselves that I believe, you know, can help explain why we've had such an explosion, not just in dementia and Alzheimer's since the... Uh, well, what, the Green Revolution, late 50s, early 60s, when food started changing dramatically and all this other stuff started getting put into the environment. But to answer your question, the the research that we conducted on Alzheimer's was really the, the highlight of my research career and even, for the most part, my professional existence to this point in my life because we ultimately showed something that has really never been shown prior to or after our study and it's it's exciting but it's also disappointing that i've never been able to extend that and that was part of the reason i left academics but we ultimately showed that people with moderate to severe alzheimer's could improve on our dietary supplement just simply introducing this dietary supplement into their daily routine we didn't change their diet we didn't have the funding we didn't change their diet We didn't exercise them. We didn't give them any other kind of intervention, be it socialization, music, sound, hyperbaric oxygen, acupuncture. I mean, and lots of other things that could have been done, but we didn't do any of that stuff. And oh, by the way, we didn't change their medication either. All we did was give them this dietary supplement formula. We followed them for 12 months and we had incredible compliance. We had the most motivated caregivers you'd ever meet in your life. And given what your mother went through, I'm sure you can appreciate the caregiving of a person with with this tragic disease, but 
we looked at cognitive function at baseline three, six, nine, and 12 months. We drew their blood at baseline in 12 months, again, due to limited funding. And again, without sounding too much of an, like too much of an egomaniac, our, our results were pretty much unparalleled. We, we had uh, clinically and statistically significant improvements in cognition at nine and 12 months. And this is according to the ADAS-COG, which is widely considered to be the gold standard of assessing cognition, particular, particularly in dementia studies. And I, and I mentioned very specifically clinically and statistically significant because, as you well know, something could be statistically significant in a study due to either a really large effect size of the treatment or, or the intervention or because you've got hundreds or thousands of people in your study. And so statistical significance is a wonderful thing to achieve, but if it doesn't have any clinical or practical, practical relevance, who cares? Well, you know what? We're going to talk about that in much more detail when we come back, and we will talk about that nutritional supplement that you actually designed and which is available because it's it's not a drug um, for people to use for themselves. So we'll talk about that more when we get back. And you are listening to The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. Find us at naturalnurse.com right here on Progressive Radio Network. And we're talking to Dr. John Lewis. You can find him at drlewis, L-E-W-I-S, nutrition.com. And we'll have a live link to that on the archive after today's show. We will be right back with more. On this edition of the Natural Medicine Chest, we'll talk about high blood pressure or hypertension. Hypertension or high blood pressure is a disease of the Western world and a product of modern civilization. Cultures that continue to adhere to an indigenous lifestyle, which includes low stress levels, a non-refined whole foods diet, as well as vigorous exercise, experience virtually no episodes of essential hypertension. It is very interesting to note that when individuals from these societies emigrate to Western countries and adopt Western habits, they too fall prey to hypertension. Naturopathic treatment of hypertension has not changed essentially in the last century. The mainstay of the treatment still relies on diet, exercise, stress reduction, lifestyle modification, with secondary support from other modalities such as hypotensive phytotherapy or herbal medicine, hydrotherapy, which is the therapeutic use of water, clinical nutrition, as well as homeopathy. We'll focus on phytotherapy in this edition of the Natural Medicine Chest. Let's talk about Taraxacum officinalis. This is an unpopular nuisance to many homeowners trying to build that perfect lawn. However, this common weed, the dandelion, is a powerful yet safe botanical medicine for the treatment of hypertension. In a Romania study in 1974, the common dandelion was found to be as potent a diuretic as a commonly used drug called Lasix. Dandelion, however, due to its rich levels of potassium, acted against potassium ion depletion, a dangerous condition known as hypokalemia, seen as a side effect of many anti-hypertensive drugs which promote diuresis. The leaf of the dandelion was a more effective medicine than the root, although the root is utilized by naturopathic physicians and has a powerful liver-specific medicinal quality. Crotagus oxycantha, also known in the vernacular as hawthorn, is a common tree in the family Rosaceae, or the rose family. 
Extracts of the plant in the Western literature date back far beyond the Middle Ages. Even the Chinese were privy to its usage, especially as a digestive tonic. The therapeutic principles are found in extracts from the leaves, berry-like fruits, as well as the flowers. In Europe, Crataegus is well respected for its effects at lowering blood pressure, blood lipids, reducing angina attacks, and preventing and perhaps reversing atherosclerotic deposition in arterial walls. This plant has demonstrated a remarkable safety record, but because of its powerful effects, it should not be used with certain cardiac or hypotensive drugs and should be used by a qualified practitioner of alternative medicine. Other herbs are also helpful for hypotension, such as garlic, olive, and olive oil, and ginkgo biloba. So if the pressures of life are making your blood boil, don't forget about these herbal medicines the next time you reach into the natural medicine. And we're back right here on Progressive Radio Network. You can always find us at prn.live, and you can find The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z on any podcast venue of your choice, as well as prn.live, and you can catch us live. We're here live every Tuesday, 10 to 11 a.m., or any other time at your convenience. It's so amazing, the new modern world. Today, we are here with our guest, Dr. John Lewis, and Dr. Lewis is an accomplished scientist, as well as having many other interests, and he's been discussing with us today. He is the founder and president of Dr. Lewis Nutrition, and you can find that at drlewisnutrition.com, and we're going to talk about that company and why you set it up. Dr. Lewis, and more about your work with Alzheimer's, which was um, very in-depth and very successful. Thank you. Well, <clears throat> would you like me to, to finish uh, discussing the results we showed in the Alzheimer's study? Please. Right? That's a great place to start. Okay, great. So as I was mentioning right before the break, we showed clinically and statistically significant improvements in cognitive function at 9 and 12 months, which... Don't take my word for it. I would encourage your listeners to, you know, go to PubMed or any other uh, search engine of choice and and do your own due diligence and prove me wrong. Nothing before or nothing after our first article we published in 2013 sh has showed anything and uh, anything like that. And I don't care if you want to talk about the five FDA approved drugs for dementia or any other nutritional hyperbaric oxygen, you name it. We we're so proud of that finding. Uh, it just it really confirmed a lot of the anecdotal responses and, and feedback we were getting as we were conducting the trial. And of course, you don't know how a trial is going to turn out until the end of the day when you've collected all the data and you run the statistics. But nonetheless, that was really exciting for us. And then we also showed improvement in overall immune function. We, we looked at a whole host of biomarkers, a lot of different immune markers, inflammatory markers, we, we, we showed an improvement in the CD4 to CD8 ratio, which is our ratio of helper cells to cytotoxic cells. And that's very important to keep that ratio as high as you can, not just for people with dementia and Alzheimer's, but for, for all of us. We want that ratio to be high. And so over the 12-month period, we showed that improvement. We showed lowering of <clears throat> TNF-alpha and VEGF, which are common markers used at 
uh, well, used for lots of different studies, actually, of heart disease and cancer, primarily historically. Our paper was probably the first publishing those kinds of results in people with Alzheimer's, but those are very important markers to keep under control. We we need inflammation when we get sick or we're involved in an accident, we have some acute trauma, but we don't want inflammation to be out of control and, and systemic and chronic over a long period of time. That's when it becomes problematic. So we were able to lower inflammation. And then finally, we were able to improve stem cell production, adult stem cell production over that 12 month period, uh, according to CD14 cells. So when you combine all of those research uh, findings into one sort of picture, it's it's a really fascinating look into why these people had such amazing results. I mean, I had caregivers calling me during the study in tears saying, Dr. Lewis, I can't believe what, you know, either my wife, my husband, my grandmother, my whatever relationship was, doing or saying things that he or she had not done in some cases in years. I mean, these were tears of joy at these, you know, these, these responses. And so when you look at why those people had that type of response and we didn't have the funding to do imaging. And I don't even know 15 years ago, how sophisticated the imaging technology was at that time. If we had funding today for a new study, we certainly could look at the morphology of the brain and, you know, look at tau and, and plaques and tangles and those kinds of things in the brain to see those types of changes. But when you look at the clinical side, what was going on in, in cognition, and then the underpinning physiological changes where you improve immune function, you lower inflammation, and you improve adult stem cell production, the thing that made sense to us was that in, in modulating the immune system, not only to lower inflammation, but to increase stem cell production, those stem cells migrated out to the brain to be able to repair damage or create new neurons or new synapses, whatever the case may be, where today neuroplasticity is pretty commonly accepted that parts of the brain can regenerate. And so otherwise, what, you know, what happened? I mean, it just to dismiss it as a placebo effect or spontaneous healing, obviously that, that, that didn't float with us. And so we were just very excited about the findings uh, of this study. We actually published two other papers from that study. We we looked at brain-derived neurotropic factor and two other analyses showing, I would say, not quite as exciting results, but definitely we had a non-significant improvement in BDNF level, which from the time we published the first paper in 13 to publishing the subsequent papers a, few, a couple of years later, other people were looking at BDNF for its importance, not only in neuroplasticity and hippocampus and, uh, function and uh, memory and other things related to cognition. So we wanted to look at that marker as well. And turned out it was very related to all the cognitive function uh, or the, the assessment battery that we looked at for cognition and then some of the other immune system and inflammatory markers. So we got two more papers out of that. And then even though I'm in business today, I'm no longer full-time in academics, we just had a fourth paper accepted for publication by the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease, looking at what I think is very fascinating and actually completely novel in Alzheimer's disease. And that is looking at the Th1 to Th2 ratios within the immune system. So if I could do my life over, one thing that I would definitely do would spend more time getting trained on immune function. I just find the immune system so fascinating and it's way more than just our first line of defense against invasion or infection. It's 
in my view, it's kind of like if you look at an analogy of, a, of an orchestra, the immune system is the conductor. It, it is constantly in communication with all of our other major organ systems, and it helps to keep everything in balance. And so if your immune system is not modulated and functional and surveillance, you can't possibly expect all of your other organ systems to to be in harmony and, and working correctly as well. But going all the way back to 1986, when when some investigators were looking at Th1 and Th2 within mice. And wait, were, wait, wait! You're running a little bit fast because you're throwing out words, Dr. Lewis, sorry. like Th1 and Th2, which sorry. most of our listeners have no idea what you're talking about. Although I do, so let's just backtrack a little bit because that is important. So, what is Th1 and Th2 that you're talking about here? So within the immune system, you have different components. And, you know, classically, we think of the immune system as having either a pro-inflammatory effect or an anti-inflammatory effect. And again, depending on whether you're talking about an acute situation, like you have a virus or you just had an auto accident and you're damaged, you know, you want you want those you want the immune response and especially those inflammatory signals and markers to do their job, right? Because that's part of the healing process. That's part of the body defending itself and repairing itself. And so depending on if you're talking about acute or chronic inflammation, that Th1 to Th2 balance is very important. So typically when you're talking about Th1, it's usually in the context of a viral infection. And then in Th2, you're typically, you're typically talking about something that gets dysregulated over time like, for example, an allergy or an autoimmune condition like uh, like rheumatoid arthritis. So those are, you know, just kind of very gross, high-level descriptions of, of what I'm referring to here. But going all the way back to, I believe it was 1986, the first article that was published where some folks were looking at a, a mouse model of HIV, and they were trying to help, you know, back in those days, way before antiretroviral medication, they were trying to help people with this with this virus and, and obviously not die from it. And so the Th1 to Th2 balance was deemed to be significant for HIV at that time. Fast forward to, you know, the what, last 40 or so years, and a lot of work has been done, obviously, in all the different components of the immune system. Classically, Th1 and Th2 have been the two most predominantly investigated components, but now we know there's TH17, TH23, TH33, 34, and on and on. I don't even know how many different ones there are being studied today, but there are several. But all these different na uh, names or the nomenclature just simply is telling us the different components of these mostly cytokines and growth factors that are released by different immune cells and their significance or their relationship to immune function. Again, very broadly, generally speaking here. So <clears throat> knowing that in our first paper, we had looked at VEGF and TNF-alpha being two very significant uh, growth factors or cytokines that had showed decreases in response to our dietary supplement, I wanted to explore that a little bit further. And then it dawned on me as I was reading a couple of papers, well, hey, what if we look at the TH1 to TH2 ratio? Because Again, if you're talking about certain things like cancer or HIV, uh, heart disease, autoimmune disorders like MS or rheumatoid arthritis, that Th1 to Th2 balance has, has been 
noted to be very significant. And you want that to be in balance as much as possible. I mean, it's as close as you can get to unity as possible. It typically indicates that you're in homeostasis or that you're hopefully in good health. So therefore, let's take a look at something that you're calling your brain care capsules. And you can find those at drlewisnutrition.com because we could delve into that proprietary formula. We're going to take a little break here in a few minutes, but we can delve into what made you choose these factors, such as stabilized rice bran and golden flaxseed and sunflower lecithin. I mean, this is a very specific formula that that's for a reason. Yes. So that would be an interesting thing to delve into. How did you come up with this proprietary blend? Well, so may I just finish that one last point that I had about the TH1 to TH2? Because it's a very important point to mention. Yes, please do. I just want to quickly mention that what we ended up showing was that the people with Alzheimer's disease were highly TH1 dominant. And so we showed with our formulation that we could actually help to rebalance the TH1 to TH2 ratio over the 12-month intervention. And also that change in rebalancing the TH1 to TH2 ratio was also correlated with improved cognitive function. So it was a very nice paper that that we just published. But now retracing all the steps back 20 years ago, ultimately this formulation the base of it is not even the three ingredients that you mentioned. Actually, the base of it is the allopolysaccharide, the ace manin, acetylated polymannose. It goes by several different synonyms, but ultimately it means the same thing. The polysaccharide that comes from the aloe vera interleaf gel, arguably, in my opinion, is one of the most effective, if not the most effective, phytonutrients or nutrients known to humanity. And I'll tell you why. It's not just because of our research in Alzheimer's and multiple sclerosis, but going back to literally recorded human history, we know that human beings have been using aloe vera for medicinal or therapeutic purposes. But interestingly, obviously, historically, we know that people commonly think of using aloe vera as a topical remedy, right? If you get a supper or a cut or a wound or something, you, you, you know, you think, oh, I've got some aloe vera in the cabinet. Let me rub some gel on that uh, cut or that wound and it'll help me to heal. And that's absolutely true. However, the gel is 98 99% water. And the magic of what that plant, what Mother Nature's gift to humanity does for us is that if you can take all that gel or all that gel water out and then concentrate the polysaccharides into a dose that's therapeutically beneficial or meaningful now you can really take advantage of what that plant offers us those polysaccharides again going back this is at least 40 years of of colleagues of mine and and colleagues of theirs who have been looking at ace manin acetylated polymanos and how amazing it is not just for the immune system but literally for every cell in our body we know through the study of glycomics or glycobiology that manos is needed every time Two of the key organelles in our cells, the endoplasmic reticulum and the Golgi, every time they're communicating with each other, they need nine molecules of mannose in that process. So think about that for a second. Our cells are constantly doing their jobs, right? And they go through this process of life and death all the time. And that's why we, that's one of the 
hallmarks of why we we live is this bioengineering of life process where our cells first need oxygen and then they need all these other things coming after that. But mannose has been shown to be one of these key polysaccharides that enable our cells to function properly. Unfortunately, we don't get mannose in our food. And I don't care if you're vegan or carnivore or keto or, you know, whatever you are. I don't know about you. I don't know anyone eats who eats aloe vera. I, as a food. Well, we do need to take a break right at this point um, okay. for our, our wonderful station, Progressive Radio Network, to say hello to our listeners. And when we come back, we can share any other information you'd like about daily brain care, which people can find at drlewisnutrition.com or any other information you'd like to share with our listeners. So we will be right back with more right here on The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. Is there life outside the 5G AI headset? Only your own. Choose life with progressive radio voices at prn.live, prn.live. Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. Good news. We have a brand new program on the Progressive Radio Network, and it's called Radio Voices, Parent Spotlight. And it features highlights, the best and most insightful programs that can be heard here throughout the week on the Progressive Radio Network. Hi, I'm Rodney Harris. And I'm Kyle George. And we are a host of A Different Angle. We're two young men trying to crack open the minds of today's society. Where we'll be talking about mental health and all the struggles from all walks of life. We'll be having special guests and some fun times as well. You can catch us every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern on PRN.live. Hope to see you there. Is woke putting minds to sleep and waking them inside the authoritarian nightmare? Woke! If you don't want to wake up woke, if you want to live your own consciousness, progressive radio voices will help you stay and we're back once again right here on Progressive Radio Network. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we're really happy to bring on board our illustrious guest, Dr. John E. Lewis, Ph.D., who has been giving us a really in-depth and scientific look at what is going on with really the inflammatory response and in particular how it relates to brain health. And he learned all this through many years of study and has published widely and in particular, um, we're talking about his study in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease, which um, not only spurred him to leave academics and pr pursue a science-based business career, um, but also got him 
TED Talk Miami, which you can watch on YouTube. So thank you so much for being our guest today. Would you want to discuss some of the specifics of why you chose specific items to include in your daily brain care product? Yes, I would. So just to finish that point before we went to break, the, the allopolysaccharides are just so crucial to this formulation. And I think even though I think all of the, the ingredients are important, if you twisted my arm, I would tell you that the allopolysaccharide is the most important simply because of two reasons. One, people don't eat aloe vera, so they're not getting those polysaccharides in their diet, regardless of their dietary belief or philosophy. And then number two, it's just, again, because historically it's been shown over the last several decades how potent uh, this particular polysaccharide is for human health. And and I say all that to say, I, and I should have said this when we first started the show, but I, I hope no one ever misconstrues that I'm talking about treating disease with nutrition. I'd never say that. To me, this is way more fundamental and way more foundational, which is providing the body the raw materials that it needs to function properly. And we do that through nutrition. And that's, to me, way more powerful than treating disease with medication. So I want everybody to be clear that I am absolutely not talking about treating disease with nutrition at all in anything that we're discussing today. But, but in addition to, to using the aloe vera, the allopolysaccharide as the linchpin or the key ingredient in the daily brain care formula, we were also not interested in looking for a magic bullet. So many times people, I, and I'm sure you deal with this every day as well, people are always looking for that one thing to do. Like, you know, people want to winnow life or winnow behavior down to this one key thing. There's no such thing, you know, like the biology of, of humanity, our physiology, it doesn't work that way. We need lots of things and, and we need to do lots of good things for ourselves to be healthy. And so our idea was to give these particular people with Alzheimer's and MS the opportunity to actually recover, not just to look for a magic bullet. We didn't even think that was ethical. So in adding things to it, the, the few that you mentioned, like the rice bran, the flaxseed, the sunflower lecithin, the tart cherry, the N-acetylcysteine, the IP6, the dioscoria, the citric acid, the clay, all these things were designed together to give the, the, the people who participated in the research the best chance of improving. And so, for example, in the Alzheimer's study, we had people with moderate to severe Alzheimer's disease. These are people that Big Pharma has zero interest in study. And they also were 79.9 years of age on average. And oh, by the way, they didn't just have Alzheimer's, they had mood disorder, diabetes, different forms of heart disease. So these were really impaired, very sick people. Would it have been ethical on our part just to say, well, here, we're just gonna give you allopolysaccharide, or we're just gonna give you stabilized rice bran. To us, that was not only unethical or would have been unethical, but it also didn't make any scientific sense because clearly somebody who's who's that sick at that age needs a lot of nutritional support. And so in studying nutrition, and as I've done for so many years in my career, you know, again, it's it's difficult to look for magic bullets in the nutritional science world. You you really you're kind of doing yourself and your and your study subjects a disservice by by looking for magic bullets because our cells just don't work that way. And, and that's the reason why. The randomized placebo-controlled double-blind study works so well for, for pharmacology because they can evaluate 
one chemical for one mechanism of action for one symptom of a disease, but you cannot do that in nutrition. It just, our body doesn't work that way. We were not, uh, we didn't evolve or were designed that way. So for us, it, philosophically, it makes absolutely no sense to look for magic bullets in nutrition, but all of those ingredients have very distinct and, and useful purposes. For example, the stabilized rice bran. You, I mean, you want to talk about a powerhouse of all different types of nutrients, phytonutrients, vitamins, minerals, elements, cofactors, metabolites. I mean, rice bran is just loaded with it. Unfortunately, most of the world prefers to eat white rice. I think 70, 80% of the world prefers to eat white rice as opposed to what rice is when it's grown in the field. When it gets picked and then it's going to the mill, the rice bran gets stripped off to make the white rice, and then the rice bran either ends up getting thrown away or fed to livestock. So actually the livestock that eat the rice bran are healthier probably than, than the people who own them. But, uh, <clears throat> but the rice bran, again, is the key to rice. It's not, it's not the white rice. It's the rice bran that surrounds that white portion that really provides all the nutrition. And then you concentrate that into a powder like we've done, and that's where you get such therapeutic benefit. Obviously, flaxseed, you know, people think of flaxseed commonly for its omega benefit, which is absolutely true. It's got a very high source of omega-3, but also it contains lignans, the most concentrated source of lignans of any known plant. And those lignans, man, you want to talk about helping to protect you against cancer. And again, I'm not talking about treating disease, but I'm talking about utilizing the body's own mechanisms or macrophage or natural killer cells to be able to counteract uh, you know, cancerous cells, the lignans that are found in, in flaxseed do a wonderful job of that. Uh, the clay, the ultra, the ultra tira clay, that's a very interesting com compound or, or component to our formulation. Though, while everything else is providing nutritional support, the clay is actually a very potent chelator of all of this stuff that builds up in, in our system over time. So, you know, we can't help just what we're exposed to in the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the soil that grows our food. All these things are, unfortunately, we now know are, are polluted, right? We have a lot of contamination in the world. But the, the clay is a very interesting compound. It actually chelates or binds to all of these things, all this pollution like heavy metals, uh, arsenic, PFAs, PCBs, all of this stuff that's now floating around today. The clay helps to strip all of that out. So actually what we find with a lot of people who start taking daily brain care is that they will notice initially this detoxifying effect. So that's a very key component to this because obviously, as you well know, healing also requires detoxification, especially for someone who's older, maybe hasn't eaten well, never exercised, smoked, drank alcohol, took other drugs, whatever. All these things contaminate the body over time. And so we use the clay as kind of our secret weapon, if you will, our second secret weapon, or the allopolysaccharide being our first one. But the clay being another secret weapon where we're stripping out bad stuff that gets stored up in our tissues over time. And then meanwhile, all the other ingredients in the daily brain care formulation are helping to feed the cells and helping, <clears throat> excuse me, helping to make the cells really function properly. I mean, the way they're supposed to, 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 to function. And it's like the analogy that I like to use for people is that you have a car that's got water contamination in the gas tank. Maybe it's got a lot of miles on it. And so you, you do a tune up 
you get the, the water cleaned out of the gas, you use high test gasoline, now your car is running almost new again. Same thing for our cells. If we misuse our, or mis, uh, abuse our body over time, if we don't feed it properly, we don't exercise, we smoke, we drink alcohol, we take drugs, whatever, and then we're not giving the nutrition, the nutritional support that our cells need. Once you start doing that, now our cells say, ah, I can function again. I've got all the materials that I need to function properly. Let me get this body, this system back to homeostasis. Let me get rid of all of these things that are going on here and function the way I'm supposed to. And so that to me is the beauty of what we do with polysaccharides and with daily brain care and with some of our other nutritional approaches is again, providing the raw materials that the cells need to function properly. And oh, by the way, that's every one of our 30 plus trillion cells. That's not just one part of our body or another. Don't be misled by the name daily brain care because we're targeting the brain based on the research that we publish to support our claims. And also because of the extreme need of people with all these different brain health challenges in society today. But we could call the product anything because nutrition, the body doesn't care what the name of a product is on the label, it cares if you're providing it the raw materials that it needs to function properly. And that's that's telling our genes, the information that's coded in these polysaccharides and the other nutrition or the other ingredients <clears throat> tells our genes through the information in all of those components what to do to then guide the cells to function properly. Well, that is excellent information, but we do have to sign off for today. Dr. John Lewis, thank you so much for being our guest. And you can find out more about all that information at his very rich and informative website, drlewisnutrition.com. And of course, we hope that you visit us at naturalnurse.com. And until then, this is Ellen Kamai, the natural nurse, hoping that you stay healthy. <laughs>